0: Shalom. This is Mark Robinson, Executive Director of Jewish Awareness Ministries. Welcome to Jewish Awareness Podcast, a teaching ministry of Jewish Awareness Ministries. On Friday nights at our headquarters, we host a Bible study. Generally, we do verse-by-verse studies of different books of the Bible. These studies can be viewed live through the JAM Facebook livestream platform on Fridays. If you have questions or like additional information, go to our website, jewishawareness.org. Email us at office at jewishawareness.org or call us at 919 275 4477. Enjoy the Bible study. Okay. Hebrews chapter 12 and Lord willing we will get through Hebrews chapter 12 tonight these are the last five verses of the warning passage of the fifth and final warning passage and just to remind ourselves there are two groups of people being addressed in this book that is Jewish believers who literally actually possess the Lord so possessing believers. But Jewish believers who only give lip service—they—they—they they, they say with their lip Jesus is Messiah, but they don't possess Him. So they're professing believers, and the warning passages are primarily directed towards these professing Jewish people, and saying, "Hey, Jesus is so much better than all the things in the Old Testament economy, uh, the Mosaic economy." Um, Better than angels, better than Moses, better than the priesthood, better than the high priest, uh, and, and and so on. And Jesus is so much better. So this is the final warning, um, and it brings to a pinnacle, I guess you could say, the the reality ultimately of God's judgment for those who reject Jesus, for those who reject God's Son. That reality, that judgment is sure. It's it's foreboding. Uh, if anybody would have any inkling on what lies ahead with the judgment of God they would just flee to the Savior. Um, and, and, and a lot of what is dealt here um, is the tribulation period. We'll see and, and understand why. But it, it, there's a greater judgment than the tribulation which is bad enough uh, coming and that's the judgment of eternal lake of fire. That's forever. Uh, so in verse 25, it starts out that it says, "See that you refuse not him that speaks, for if they escape not who refused, for if they escape not who refused him that spoke on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaks from heaven." And so we have a contrast here that is will be mentioned again in these last few verses. Uh, that which takes place on earth, uh, which would be um, Moses, the giving of the law, the judgment that came around that, and that which comes from heaven, being Jesus speaking, the Son of God speaking, and the judgment that will come for those who ultimately reject the Son of God, reject Jesus. Now, one of the things that we must be absolutely clear in our understanding uh, is that there is no salvation outside of Jesus and him alone. You know, I, I was hoping there would be a, a gentleman that would join us tonight. He stopped by and I thought, was it today or yesterday? Uh, yesterday. Yesterday. Um, he had a bunch of questions. He was interested in the Bible study uh, but he wanted to know, he, he, he was under the impression that, um, I forget how he actually put it, but at the time of Jesus and perhaps subsequent to that, which would be today, that Isn't it true he said that you have to believe in Jesus and be baptized to be saved. So he was obviously and that's absolutely wrong. Um, The first part is correct. The last part is wrong. Uh, The only thing to do to be saved is believe on the Lord. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Uh, So we have to be. We must be absolutely clear in our mind and our heart that salvation is only through and by belief in him uh, John 14:6. Jesus said uh, I am the way the truth and the life no man comes unto the father but by me and so it's through him it's not through religion it's not through good works it's not through baptism it didn't say you uh, I am the way the truth and the life no man comes on the father but by me and baptism that didn't doesn't say that uh, it's through Jesus we come to God through Jesus. And then Acts chapter four verse twelve, uh, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Uh There's the only one name, only one person, and, and, and it's and it's it, it's the name of Jesus. Yes, but let, let's make sure it's the biblical Jesus. Um, that's why I, I love Psalm one hundred and thirty-eight two, where God says He has exalted His word above all his name. Uh, How many Jesuses do we have in the world? Lots of them. A lot of them live in Mexico, Jesus. Um, There's a Mormon Jesus, that's not the biblical Jesus. There's a JW Jesus, that's not the biblical Jesus. There's an Islamic Jesus, that's not the biblical Jesus. And you just go on and on and on. So the, na- the name Jesus, there's, there's no power in the name Jesus, it's the person behind the name, the, the Jesus of the Bible. Uh, so there's no other name, neither is there salvation in any other. For there's none other name under heaven. And the, all and the context of this is Jesus of Nazareth, the biblical Jesus. Uh, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So we want to be saved through Jesus. There's no other option. No other way baptism doesn't do it no other way. What it starts out see that you refuse not him that speaks now. This is free will. This is a blanket offer. Uh, See that you refuse him not you refuse not him that speaks. Um, And uh, perhaps what I should have put down first I guess is. uh, Uh, who is the one that's speaking well I put that as the second thought Then we'll go back to the first one Uh, Hebrews two three remember that how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation with the first began to be spoken by the Lord was confirmed unto us by them that heard him Uh, but also and I think I put this later on um, down in, in in the last phrase of this verse much more shall not shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaks from heaven. Hebrews 1 2. Uh, we're having these last days spoken unto us by his son. Uh, so it's God speaking and God is speaking through his son. Yes. So I thought of something in uh, Hebrews 2 3. Because how shall we escape which um, was spoken to the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. Would that negate any of the disciples? Who were with him as being the authors of Hebrews? No, that has no, not necessarily, no. What that has to do is that uh, God confirmed, and you know, I'm, we're not gonna rehash the whole thing, but but God confirmed his word and with Jesus through miraculous events, miracles. And whenever there's been a new revelation in history, uh, Moses, the law; Elijah and Elisha, the prophets; uh, Jesus and His coming, miracles; and the apostles, miracles accompanied them. Uh, there were always miracles given, attesting that this these men were from God, that this these were were sent from God. When you think of the prophets, starting again with Elijah and Elisha. You, you, you can read about them. There were a lot of miracles that took place with, with their activities. Um, but as you read the later prophets, there's very few miracles that you read about. Uh, it's the office of prophet that God established and, and so on. So no, it doesn't mean that one of them wasn't the writer of, of, of Hebrews. Um, going back to the top, um, not the very top, the free will of people to reject or accept Jesus is in view here. See that you refuse not him that speaks. Uh, this is this is a command. Um, the second verse of Hebrews we we're told having these last days spoken unto us by a son. I do have it here. The one that speaks is Jesus. This warning is to professing believers not to reject Jesus. So uh, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Um, I don't see how you get around the free will of this verse. Uh, Anybody can respond. Anybody can say I don't want Jesus or they can say I want Jesus. See that you refuse not him that speaks. Uh, Rene Lopez uh, in his article for uh, Bibliotheca Sacra in 2007. That's the uh, Journal of Dallas Theological Seminary in his article is faith a gift of God or a human exercise said this in part nowhere does scripture teach the inability of individuals to respond to God's wrong on numerous occasions the Bible shows that people are capable of exercising faith in Christ for example God heard the prayer of Cornelius a Gentile unbeliever and he sent Peter to Cornelius with a message of salvation in Christ, Acts 10, 30 through 32. Writing about Cornelius, Wilkins says, did God actually talk to an unregenerate person? If you remember the beginning of Acts chapter 10 in Cornelius, he was a centurion, he was over 100 Roman soldiers, he was an officer in the Roman legion, but he wasn't saved. And so Wilkins says. Did God actually talk to an unregenerate person, meaning he wasn't saved? Yes. Did the unsaved person understand what God said? Speaking of Cornelius. Absolutely. In fact, God also indicates that he had, see, he had been hearing the prayers and appreciating the alms giving of Cornelius in unbeliever. Read Acts chapter 10 later. I mean, here's an unbelieving man. Now he wasn't saved, so what, what did God do to get him saved? Peter, Jaffa, Caesarea. If you've been to Israel, you know, it's, hey, he didn't have a nice Mercedes bus. He had to hoof it. Uh, but we can do it an hour. Um, but the point here is, here's an unsaved individual that prayed to God, God heard his prayer, He had an option to believe or not to believe, to respond or not to respond. And and when he heard the message from Peter, what did he ultimately do? He responded. He accepted the Lord. When it says, see that you refuse not him that speaks, they have an option. But these professing believers are in if you want to call it danger that's the word on the on the tip of my tongue anyway are in danger of giving up or 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 or, or, or forgetting about Jesus and going back to Judaism or mosaism it's a combination at the time uh which is what so so don't do it don't refuse god in other words don't refuse the messiah um and then uh <coughs> And I had the challenges unambiguous and pointed. Don't refuse Jesus is what it's saying. And again, the 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 implication is everybody can refuse him. But what's the flip side of that? Everybody can accept him. Um, we have that free will. We have that ability to <coughs> choose. Then it says, "For if they escape not, who refused him that spoke on earth?" Now what this is hearkening back to I could have put a whole host of verses uh, this is talking about the law and Israel and what they got Israel got through uh, Moses at Mount Sinai in the commandment and, and the way Jeremiah puts it in eleven ten uh, they are turned back to the iniquities of their forefathers this would have been the, um, uh, the patriarchs or the ones that followed the patriarchs. They are turned back to the iniquities of their forefathers, which refused to hear my words, and they went after other gods to serve them. The house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken my covenant, which I have made with their fathers. So they've gone back like they have to their fathers. There's that bent in the human nature to to go our own way when they refuse to hear my words. And What does that imply? Well, it says they have refused, they refused, but it implies that they didn't have to. I mean, it states that they refused, but it implies that they didn't have to refuse it. They could have followed, they could have accepted. but that was the, but if, and, and as a result of, uh, of refusing to follow the law, God's words, what God said, they were judged. And this is all earthly pronouncements. This is given by God to Moses, and Moses said there are there are all kinds of penalties in the law. We won't go and rehearse any of those. But there's you know if you think of Deuteronomy 28, uh, it starts out with 14 verses of blessing, and then it starts in verse 15 cursing, and you've got a couple of three chapters of cursing. Uh, So it's weighted towards hey, if you if you obey, there's the blessing. If you don't obey. Judgment. Cursing. It's going to happen. Unfortunately they chose, they refused, meaning they chose, they refused not to obey. So what he's saying, uh, if they escaped not who refused that spoke on earth, did they get out of the judgment that would follow the Jewish people, Israel, under the Mosaic system when they broke the law? No. I mean, think, for example, uh, of the Babylonian captivity. God said under the law, let the land rest for every seventh year. The law of the land Sabbath. How many years did Israel not let the land rest? 490 years for 70 land Sabbaths. Seven times 70. So, t- so what did God do in judgment? He sent them into Babylon, Babylon for 70 years that the land would enjoy her Sabbath. Second Chronicles 36. They paid the penalty. The people paid the penalty. For what took place. Then and then the latter part of the verse. Much more. Shall not we escape. If we turn away from him that speaks from heaven. So if God judge those people under the Mosaic law. This is what God requires. If you don't obey I'm going to judge you. God did that. How much more. Shall not we escape, and he's speaking to these professing believers, if we turn away from him that speaks from heaven? Now, who is the one that spoke from heaven? Jesus. That's right back in the very beginning of the book, where God has spoken in times past by the prophets, have now in these last days spoken unto us through his Son, through Jesus. Jesus is God's final revelation. Now, what we have referred to here, and I got this from Legal Dictionary, thefreedictionary.com, is affareshi. Uh, Shiri is how it's pronounced. Okay, that's the argument, the affareshi argument. What is that? That is, quote, it applies to a situation. In which if one thing is true. Then it can be inferred that a second thing is even more certainly true. Thus. If Abel. Is too young to serve. As administrator. Then his younger brother. Cain. Certainly is too young. That's the argument. Uh, if one thing is true, then what follows is even more true. And if Abel is not able to serve as the administrator, now this is not the Cain and A, I don't know why they use Cain and Abel, but I thought it was interesting. Yeah. But anyway, that, that was in the definition. If Abel is too young to serve as the administrator, his younger brother obviously then can't serve as administrator because He's younger. It's much more evident that Cain can't serve as the administrator. That's the argument here. If judgment came on the people and it did, it was from God and that was given on the earth through Moses, how much more is it true that judgment will come when God gives the message through his son from heaven? Write it down underline it put it in capitals it is certain to happen. Now what he will get into as we see this and we'll look at some of these just a moment is the tribulation period and the wrath of God from heaven. So he's except for perhaps the last verse of this chapter it's not talking about hell uh, and I'll mention why I think that is true. But look what Hebrews 10, 28, and 29. I know we looked at this previously. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. That's on the earth. Judgment was sure. Of how much sorer punishment suppose you shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden, un, trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and have done despite unto the spirit of grace. This is the fourth warning passage. If people under Moses' covenant died how much more sure will punishment be meted out if you reject the son. That's what this principle is. the <laughs> In other words because this is true there's something that is so much Truer. Now, the entire book of Hebrews is explaining to these Jewish believers who possess, yes, but also profess, and the warning passages are to the professing believers, is that God's final revelation in Jesus as Messiah and God, he's God, shows how far superior he is than the things of Israel. And that's angels, that's Moses, that's the law, that's the priesthood, that's the high priesthood, that's the new covenant versus the, uh, the old covenant, so much superior. How much superior Jesus is to all of these things. So it, it just it, it's logical. One follows the other, that if you died, if you were judged under the Mosaic law, how much surer is judgment going to happen? Now, we're 2,000 years down the road. Where's the judgment? That's the next verse, <coughs> and it is coming. It is coming. Um, you know, write it down under your, know, <laughs> embed it in your heart, embed it in your mind. If you need to program it in your computer, go ahead and do it. It's coming. So he says this. Verse 26. Whose voice then shook the earth. But now he hath promised saying yet once more. I shake not the earth only. But also. Heaven. Whose voice then shook the earth. Now what do you think with it before we look into all the stuff that I put down here. What do you think this is referring to? Whose voice then shook the earth? No, not the crucifixion. Sinai. Remember, we've looked at it before. Deuteronomy chapter 4, the Ten Commandments, and and all the tribes of Israel, and Moses went up onto uh, Mount Sinai to get the law, and there was the cloud and the fire, and then all of a sudden this it had to be a booming it doesn't say booming voice but I'm sure it was booming there's great voice God's voice speaks uh, and, and the people are, are, are just blown away blown away uh, and they know this is unique that if they hear this voice again they're going to die and so they say Moses to Moses go back find out what God wants come back and tell us and whatever God tells us to do we will do it and that's the, the the episode It's not a Calvary it's not what took place at the cross this uh, this is m- remember who he's speaking to yes the cross has happened I understand that but he's speaking to professing Jewish believers this is a warning passage who are in danger of falling back to the things of the temple which is still standing uh, and, and the mosaic system which they've had for fifteen hundred years in in worship system Uh, I I mean I don't there's no comparison that we can make today in any religion we can't Catholicism doesn't even come close Catholicism for example is totally pagan in its origin totally pagan Um, where where what these people are, are looking back at was God given. It was abused by the, uh, by the Sadducees and some of the Pharisees, uh, but they were looking back at the temple that was still standing in sacrificial system and, and all that God had given to the people. Catholicism can't claim that. What they have is pagan idolatry that they've dressed up in Christian clothes, but at its core, it's paganism. So, when a Catholic says, Well, I'm not sure I can believe in Jesus because I've got all this tradition, it doesn't even come close to matching what these Jewish professing believers. Uh, now, they didn't understand the t- Jewish prophets, they didn't understand the message, they messed it and they missed it. That's all true. But what they were in danger of falling back to was God given. Yes, abused by the uh, by the priesthood, yes, abru- abused by the Pharisees and not all the Pharisees. Nicodemus did, you know, but but there's nothing in the world today that can compares that can happen, that that the allure, uh, and and so it's all. What I'm saying is, this is all an earthly based thing, God given, uh, and what He's saying when I spoke, I gave the Mosaic covenant. God gave the Mosaic covenant, uh, and, and the earth shook, and there was penalty there was judgment that would come if you broke it and that happened over and over and over again but I promise you one thing even greater. Once more I shake not just the earth but heaven as well. If I shook the earth back then and I did when I spoke there's a greater judgment coming because I'm going to shake next time not only the earth but the heaven. Now what he's referring to is the tribulation period. Now this here that we have the second part of verse twenty six is a quote from Haggai in verses chapter two verses six and seven. And um, the quote itself, the, 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 the snippet, the small part of it comes from Haggai verse uh, 6 in chapter 2 where it says this, For thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. Verse 7 of Haggai And I will shake all nations. And the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. So, the writer of Hebrews is quoting from the book of Haggai. Saying that God, when he spoke in the past, Sinai. And the earth shook. I want you to know, I have made a promise. That in the future. I'm going to shake not only the earth but the heavens as well now in the in the Haggai passage when he shakes all the nations the desire of all nations shall come and I'll mention about I will fill this house with glory. Remember what happened in Haggai in the in the earlier part of chapter 2 remember you are you familiar with what took place they've come back into the land from Babylon. The first temple was destroyed. What was the first temple? Whose temple? Solomon. It was a majestic building. It was unparalleled probably in the world at that time uh, with the wealth that went into it. And the Israelites who came back and saw the second temple, uh, Zerubbabel's temple, that in, in Haggai Zerubbabel was the governor and he allowed it to be started and and when they saw that second temple that was in the process of being built. What the text says in the earlier part of chapter two is that they didn't know whether to shout for joy. Or to weep cry. Because the because they said the glory of this temple he said how is the glory of this temple compared to the first one. It's like nothing. And, and they were glad that the temple was being rebuilt. But it was not nearly as impressive. As the glory. Of the Solomonic temple. And in this context God says I'm going to shake the heavens I'm going to shake the earth and I'm going to shake all the nations and the desire of all nations shall come. Now. What is the desire as twisted as it can be at times. What is the desire of all nations. What do you think the desire of all nations is. It's peace. Now the way they go about it, some of them, is um, uh, is, is crazy. You know what, what, Even Islam, uh, y- y- Islam is a, is, is a religion but it's also a political, uh, um, it's a poli- uh, what is, how am I trying to say this? It's also a political philosophy, not a system. I wouldn't call it a si- it's a political philosophy. It's as much political as it is religious. And you can never divorce the two from Islam. Islam's goal is to rule the world. And they want everybody to be in the house of Islam. And if everybody was in the house of Islam, theoretically every everything there, you wouldn't need jihad because jihad is against whom? The infidels. If you don't have any infidels you don't need jihad. Everybody would be at peace, every with their brothers. Yeah, I wouldn't want to be a woman, Uh, but that's a whole other story. Or homosexual, but you know. uh, But their way of getting peace is to kill everybody. Uh, So the desire of all nations is peace, but they want to be the top dog, Uh, and they want to rule everything. So when he shakes all the nations, the desire of all nations will come. The desire of nations is peace, who is the one who will ultimately come and bring peace to the world? Jesus, the prince of peace. And he will come and uh, I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord, and more glory than the Solomonic temple because that's the glory that Jesus himself will be in in that house. So the desire of all nations is peace and that's when Jesus comes. Now, I want to get back to the shake in the heavens and the earth though. That's what verse 26 is is talking about. He's talking about judgment. And, and, And if I judge you under the Mosaic law, how much more sure is it that I will judge you when I speak from heaven if you reject the message from heaven? If you reject Jesus. It is absolutely sure. 100%. So how will I judge you? Well, the first time I judge you, I spoke from the earth, said, if you broke the law, I will judge you. And by the way, uh, at Sinai, how many people died? For breaking the law. 3,000, 3,000. Good way to, I don't know if it's a good way, but one way to remember that, the flip side of that, when when God gave the law, 3,000 died. When God gave grace and the church was started, how many were given life? Three thousand. Interesting. Three thousand died under the law. If God shook the earth back then and judged that many, how much surer is it that he will judge the world when they reject Jesus? Totally sure. One hundred. Don't ever doubt it. There's a tribulation period coming. When God's going to shake not only the earth, but also the heaven. There are so many scriptures speak of this. I've only put a few down. In Isaiah 13 in verse 6. How will ye. For the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as a destruction from the almighty. And so the day of the Lord. And we're going to consider the day of the Lord is at hand. Verse 13 then. Therefore I will shake the heavens. And the earth. Shall remove out of her place. In the wrath of the Lord of hosts. In the day of his fierce anger. So in the day of the Lord. God is going to shake the earth and the heavens. And and, and he says he's going to shake the heavens. If the earth removes out of her, pl- her place. What has God have to do obviously. Shake it. Shake it. Look at Joel chapter 3. In verses 14 and 16. And, and just for um, length. For no other reason, I I took out some of these verses. You can read everything in between later if you want, but it's talking about the day of the Lord tribulation. Verse 14, Joel 3. Multitude, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Then verse 16. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem and the heavens and the earth shall shake. But the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. The shaking of the heaven and the earth. When will that take place? The day of the Lord. Look at Second Peter chapter 3 and 10 through 12. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. In the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. The elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness. Conversation is lifestyle. Looking for and hasting on to the coming of the day of God. Wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The day of the Lord is coming and heaven and earth will be affected by it. The shaking of heaven and earth. Amos 5 puts it this way Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. Now, don't even read on for a moment. Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. Why would anybody want desire the day of the Lord if it's the shaking of the heaven and the earth, the dissolving of the heaven and the earth by fire, if it's judgment and wrath? And all, Why would anybody desire the day of the Lord if it's all those things? Would anybody? I know you think I'm throwing out a twick, trick question here. Uh, so. <laughs> Pardon? No, no, it says the day of the Lord. It's not saying after the day of the Lord. It's saying woe unto you that desire the the afterness or the aftermath of the desert. No, it's saying woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. Well, maybe then there's another part of the day of the Lord other than judgment and wrath and destruction and the shaking of the heaven and the earth. And the dissolving of everything. Maybe yes. Try seven. Try seven. Okay, let's read on in Amos. Woe unto you that desired the Lord in the day of the Lord! For what to what end is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness and not light. Now, for who? The day of the Lord is darkness and light. For who? The unbelievers, not for everybody. Read it again. Won't you the desire the Lord the day of the Lord? To what end is it for you? Not everybody. These are people that have a misunderstanding about the day of the Lord. These are people that say, "Hey, when the Lord comes, we're going to reign with Him. We're going to rule with Him. We're going to be in His kingdom, and He's going to be the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords." These are Jewish people who think when the Lord comes, he's coming as the king. And hey, we're Jewish, we're okay, we're on his side, and we're going to rule and reign with him. And what Amos is saying, you, you completely missed the boat. You don't understand what this is all about. When the Lord does come, for you, it's darkness, it's not light. Unless you get right with God. For you, it's darkness, it's not light. It's as if a man did flee from a lion, and a bear met him. Think of that. You're running from a you know, you're running from a from a lion, a- and you turn around and and you think you got it made, and all of a sudden you run right into a big grizzly. Or a bear, whatever you know. Oh man, I thought I had it made, you know, a- a- and there's just no escape. Or Went into the house and leaned his hand on the wall and a serpent bit him. You you, you get into the house, you're I'm safe now. I'm behind closed doors. And the serpent bites him. There's no escape. There's no escape in this time period. Shall not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light, even very dark, and no brightness in it? Now, this is not saying that there's not a a, a component of the day of the Lord that is light. There is. What he is saying is there's a group of people, you, who think that when the day of the Lord comes, hey, we're on the right side. We're going to be all right. That's the Jewish people. Amos, Amos is a prophet to Israel. That's the Jewish people who don't understand God's plan. And they're going to be caught blinded. They think, hey, there's only this one coming of the Messiah. So what are we to understand about the day of the Lord? J. Barton Payne in his, uh, in his book, The Theology of the Older Testament, said this. The day is thus characterized by an observable accomplishment of the general aims of divine providence it refers to that point in history at which the sovereign God lays bare his holy arm on the behalf of his testament and its heirs whether in a way that is specifically miraculous or not see sometimes the 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 term day of the Lord is referring to an event in Israel's history that is not the future tribulation period it's something in the past and it's God's intervention in Israel you in judgment God's day of the Lord if you will or the day of the Lord when he judges Israel bringing Babylon in or the Assyrians it doesn't have to be a supernatural manifestation it can be a uh, using a nation in existence like Babylon that God judges Israel and, and he's working out his plan and his t- testament. In other words, what he said in the word of God and he's working out. That's the day of the Lord. But there's also a future day of the Lord where God intervenes miraculously. So you have day of the Lord used in different ways, but there is a future day of the Lord. Is it just judgment, darkness and not peace, light? The answer is no. It is actually both. Joel one fifteen says this. Alas for that for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand, and is a destruction from the Almighty shall it come. Now, when Joel says that, that is obviously a time of judgment, destruction. The day of the Lord is at hand. It's it's destruction from the almighty and it shall come. It is a time of judgment. Unquestionable. But consider later on in Joel in chapter 3 in verses 18 through 21. And it shall come to pass in that day. Now in that day refers back to verse 14. Now we read Joel 3.14 earlier in this paper right here. Go back up to Joel three fourteen. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision for the day of the Lord is at hand. And what will happen in the day of the Lord? Verse 16, Joel 3. The Lord shall roar out of Zion, utter his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and the earth shall shake. The Lord will be the hope of his people, the strength of the children of Israel, but the heavens and the earth will shake because God's wrath is coming on the earth and in the heavens. So now when we go down to Joel 3 verse 18 which is following 14 through 17 actually when it talks about the day of the Lord and a future time of judgment when the heavens and the earth shake upon the whole earth look what verse 18 says and it shall come to pass in that day. So what day are we talking about the day of the Lord that the mountains shall drop down new wine and the hills shall flow with milk and all the rivers of Judah shall flow with waters and a fountain shall come forth of the house of the Lord and shall water the valley of Shittim. Egypt shall be a desolation. Edom shall be a desolate wilderness. For the violence against the children of Judah, they will be judged because they have shed innocent blood in their land but judah shall dwell forever and jerusalem from generation to generation for i will cleanse their blood that i have not cleansed for the lord dwells in zion this is peace this is prosperity for israel and the jewish people and ultimately for the rest of the world what does it follow the judgment of God. The day of the Lord has two facets to it. Darkness and light. Judgment and blessing. And in Amos, woe unto you that desire of the day of the Lord. They only looked at the light. They only thought of the blessing. Hey, when the Lord comes, we're on the right side because I'm Jewish. And God's going to judge all these nations what they have done, and he's going to destroy them, and he's going to exalt Israel, and hey, I'm going to be exalted because I'm Jewish. And what what Amos is saying, uh-uh. Physical birth has nothing to do with exaltation, in the ultimate day of the Lord blessing portion of it. It's the new birth that you need. So there are two components to the day of the Lord: judgment, darkness, and blessing. Light. It's a time of blessing in God's rule as well. Reynolds showers in his book *Maranatha, Lord Come, Our Lord Come* said this: "Thus, the day of the Lord in the future will be at least twofold in nature, just as each day of creation and the Jewish day consisted of two phases—a time of darkness, evening." That colon should have been a quotation mark. Uh, a time of darkness evening, followed by a time of light day. Remember in Genesis 1, God created the day, and, and in Jewish reckoning, the day starts when? At evening. And then morning. And that's why the Jewish day is always at sundown to sundown. So if it starts at sundown, how does the day start? Dark. And then after the darkness comes light. The day of the Lord, he is comparing to this, and it's a correct analogy. So just as uh, the Jewish day consisted of two phases, a time time of darkness, evening, followed by a time of light, day, Genesis 1, 4 through 6, so the future day of the Lord will consist of two phases, a period of darkness, judgment, followed by a period of light, divine rule and blessing. So the day of the Lord then is ultimately 1,007 years in length, seven years of judgment, darkness, the tribulation period, and 1,000 years of blessing and divine rule when Jesus reigns on earth. by the way this has, and we're not going down this I'm just going to mention it this has a big play then on the timing of the rapture because we have been promised to be delivered prior to the time of the wrath of God before the day of the Lord starts and if the day of the Lord starts with wrath and God's wrath is poured out in the seal judgments you just have to read the book of revelation that means we have to be gone the church has to be gone. Prior to the day of the Lord starting. And the day of the Lord starts with the first seal judgment. Which everybody agrees starts right at the beginning of the tribulation period. So the church has to be removed. Prior. To the start of the tribulation period. Because those seven years of darkness we will not be around for we will come back for the light. The rule and reign of Jesus what are you saying in verse 26 Then, just as I shook the earth when I spoke and judgment came and it did when you broke it how much more I have promised how much more when 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 I speak from heaven and I have through my son if you reject that there is a judgment coming and and the context is the Jewish people although it will influence the whole world how much more will judgment come on the world and on you when you reject my son, definite. The world mocks. The world laughs. Where is the promise of his coming? It's been two thousand years. Judgment is coming. It it is so. It is more. It is just as so certain that the sun's going to rise tomorrow, in the east. If the sun rises tomorrow morning in the west, you can throw out the Bible. You can throw out this promise. What chance do you think of that happening? None. none. The seven year tribulation period is coming. It is happening and that's what he's telling these people. So go to the next page, verse 27. And this word, yet one more time I want want you to understand, yet once more. Signifies the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made. That those things which cannot be shaken may remain. So he's just he, he wants to drive home this point. Yet once more, it's establishing that what has been said in the previous verse: there is judgment coming upon the world when God is going to shake heaven and earth. Why? Because they've rejected my message from heaven, my son, Jesus. And it's not only going to affect the Jewish people; it's going to affect the world. I want you to understand one more time. I want. To, I want, Hey, you thick-headed people! You stubborn people! You, um, you, 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 ornery people! You know what other word can I use? Um, you're incorrigible. Thank you, Bob. You, you incorrigible people. He, he knows incorrigible. Um, I want you to understand it is coming one more time. I want to get this through to you yet once more uh, signifying the removing of those things that are shaken. So he's going to remove things just establishing what has been previously said is true will come to pass. God will shake the heavens and the earth. And the warning here is to those professing believers who are considering going back to the unbiblical promises of Judaism. Where the traditional concept of an earthly kingdom and traditional practice of Judaism are most important—the temple, the priesthood, the sacrificial system—all of that, said, the, the promise of the coming—they wanted to go back to that. That was all they knew for 1,500 years. We need to go back to this. This is this is our root. This is our heritage. This is our traditions. And, and he's saying, I want you to understand: if you go back, all of those things. They're man made. There's an eternal temple. There's an eternal kingdom. There's an eternal Jerusalem, a heavenly Jerusalem. There are things that will not be removed but there are things on earth that will be removed. How much stuff on earth is going to be burned up? Second Peter said everything. But there are things that will not be changed that will not be shaken that will not be removed that will be removed. What are some of the things that will be shaken? Houses, money, job, this world, religion. Those things which can't be shaken will remain? Salvation. Eternal rewards. Eternal relationships. The eternal kingdom. So in light of this, the argument, where should we put our efforts? Finding a cure for cancer? that would help millions of people maybe you maybe somebody you know is that where we should put our efforts to f- to finding a cure for cancer so we cure cancer and somebody lives an extra 20 years what happens after the 20 years they succumb to a heart attack they succumb to w- death comes How, whatever the me- vehicle whatever the mode we uh, it is appointed on demand man once to die Let the world try, you know, is it wrong to give money to cancer societies to try to find a cure for cancer? No. Is that the best place that God's people's money should go? No. That's temporal. That's not eternal. It's not wrong, but is that the the best investment? About supporting a political party that you 'll think will be best for the u s oh man, look what 's happening in our country, and look at the hypocrisy and you know, we, you, know and, and, you know and now the Democrats are really shaking, you know because you know you know there 's no collusion, and now they 're finding out that there's there 's collusion on the other side, and there's they 're concerned and and and, and, and 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 you know the new attorney general says hey there's there 's very likely spying going on and 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 the Democrats, but that's not spying. That's surveillance. There's, those are two different things. You know, yeah, right. Uh, you know, you got to be a dummy. You got to be a liberal to believe that. But anyway, um, so maybe we should invest our money in the Republican Party to get more Republicans um, in office that we can turn things around in this country. Maybe that's what we should do. Right. I'm going to start from the top again and we'll, you know. No, no. Every nation is controlled by Satan in the time that we live and our destined ultimately for destruction. No. Colossians 3, 1 and 2. If, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Where Christ sits on the right hand of God, set your fiction on things above, not on things on the earth. I mean, how much clearer can you be? Don't put your affection in the rep- any party. Democrat party, Republican party, the Likud party in Israel, whatever party it might be. No, that's not where our focus should be. Matthew six thirty three, 33. And there's a host of verses I could have put down. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added on to you. Seek his kingdom. See, the answer to American society is not the Republican party. It's not a new party. There's no answer. Actually, the, the answer is ultimately Jesus coming back and destroying the nations and setting him. Second Timothy two four, no man that warreth himself that warreth entangle themselves with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who chosen him to be a soldier. We serve the King of Kings. We're all. I could have put down Second Corinthians chapter five. I think it's around verses eighteen through twenty one. We're we're ambassadors. We're ambassadors for Jesus. That means we represent one kingdom, not another one. What? What should we do? Then? This whole world is going to be burned up one day, everything. So why invest in in, in, a, in a losing investment? I mean, isn't that pretty stupid? That's why. So that one more time, I want to tell you. You know, there are things that are going to be burned up. They're, they're not going to remain. What we need to do is do is get involved in those things that will remain that will not be shaken. Then verse 28. Wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Now who's he speaking to here? The professing believers? No. True believers, possessors. Wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be removed, Cannot be taken off of its foundation. Let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. We need to be have gratitude. We need to have grace towards you know. We serve a different kingdom, and and when we reach out to people, you know, and it's not easy. It's certainly you know when you look at what's happening in our. In our beloved country. I don't know, I'm, I, you know. And I, most, most, it's a beloved country, you know, it's been good to us. It's been very good to us. But it's just a country, it's not the kingdom. Nobody likes to see what's happening. But what's happening in our country, if you understand it from this perspective, Proves the Bible is true. If 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 if, unless you're unless you're a replacement theologian, an amillennialist, a covenant type of guy, which is all wrong to begin with, anyway. But they, they're postmillennialism, amillennialism. We are premillennialists. Postmillennialism and amillennialism, which is about eighty-five percent of Christendom, says, well, the world's got to get better. It's got to become Christian, and so we've got to work to make the world Christian and they're pulling their hair out because the great hope was America. And, and, and up until World War I, late 1800s, early 1900s, up to World War I, postmillennialism was winning the day. Industrial revolution, peace to the world, and then World War I happened. Oh man, was that discouraging. And then a few years later World War II happened. And, and, and postmillennialism was almost dealt a death blow. Postmillennialism is that the world becomes Christian by the activity of Christians and, and, and it almost got a death blow. Well, there's, there's now a rise in Christianity in the Christian world today again of postmillennialism, amillennialism under a different veneer, social justice, um, emergent church, all of that stuff that we're going to make the world Christian. No way. No way. It's just not going to happen. If you really properly understand the word of God. America and what is happening proves the Bible be true. And, and we are destined for destruction. So we need to have grace. We need to understand that the and understand that when people who don't know anything about the Bible. And that's the vast majority of Americans, including those in the evangelical world. They're biblically illiterate, totally illiterate. You know, This guy isn't here today. Uh, you know, if he was, I wouldn't say this. He he's obviously needs to be in this Bible study. You know, he needs to be in a good Bible study so he can learn the word of God. Um, that was here yesterday, not today. Uh, yesterday. But we need to have grace, we, which means graciousness and gratitude for what God has done that we can serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear and not get caught up in the temporal things is what he's saying and then verse 29 he closes the warning this way for our God is a consuming fire now this is a quote from Deuteronomy 424 I for the Lord thy God is a consuming fire even a jealous God and I like the way that the Woos commentary puts it. Which also quotes the Expositor commentary. He says this. The words. Our God is a consuming fire. Are derived from Deuteronomy 4.24. Expositor says this. The fire and smoke which manifested his presence at Sinai. Hebrews 12.18. Were but symbols of that consuming holiness. That destroys all persistent. Inexcusable evil. It is God Himself who is this who is the fire with which you have to do, not a mere physical, material, quenchable fire. The historical background of this last statement here is that of the apostate Jew who having left the temple sacrifices and having made a profession of faith in Messiah's high priest, now renounces that professed faith and returns to the Levitical system. To that person, God is a consuming fire. Not only will he be in the tribulational judgments when God destroys heaven and earth, but God will destroy him. To reject the Son of God is to invite the wrath of God. And you will be consumed by his holiness. Don't leave him. Don't turn back the final warning passage and in the context again he's speaking to these Jewish professing believers in the first century wanting to go back to the Levitical system and God says hey just as I judge you under the Mosaic law I will judge the world you and the world when you reject the Sun for God is a consuming fire it's a it's a foreboding judgment if you reject Jesus don't do it let's pray father thank you for the word of God and uh, I I I I tremble to think of the judgment that's coming upon the world people mock they laugh they lie they build their own little kingdoms We see it religiously. We see it politically. We see it economically. We see it in neighborhoods. We see it on homeowner association boards. We see it in companies where people build their own kingdoms in their own ways and ultimately all of that will be burnt up, will be shaken, will be removed. God help us to serve you graciously, humbly, reverently the king of kings the lord of lords bless our fellowship bless the uh, the food and lord we give you thanks in jesus name shalom this is mark robinson executive director of jewish awareness ministries thanking you for listening to our bible study these jewish awareness podcasts are a teaching ministry of Jewish Awareness Ministries. If you have questions about the study that you just listened to or would like additional information, go to our website, jewishawareness.org, email us at JewishAwareness.org, or call us at 919-275-4477. Shalom.